Hey everyone, this is Carter. Uh, welcome to Making It Up, a show where I talk to writers of all sorts of different backgrounds and try to pick their brain a little bit and find out a little bit more about who they are as a person. Um, and at, at the end of every episode, we pick a random sentence from a book and we craft a short story together, which is sometimes great, sometimes it's a shit show, um, but it's always fun. Uh, I think it's fun. It's fun for me. Uh, I don't know if it's fun for them. Uh, so today's episode is Stephen. James. So Stephen James is a, is a prolific writer. He has more than 30 novels to his name, thrillers and mysteries. Um, and, and I got to know Stephen, uh, you know, like many of my guests through conferences, writers conferences, and, and specifically Thriller Fest, which is kind of the big international um, conference for the Thriller Writer Association. Again, he's just one of these guys, and I've had a few of these on the show, one of these guys who I just kind of gravitated towards because he's just open and kind and and thoughtful. And you don't get to know them that well, but you just something about them, you just kind of click with them. Um, so I, I always kind of was drawn towards Stephen. So I was excited that he was um, willing to, to sit down and kind of open up <laughs> with me a little bit. So that was pretty cool. Um, and... You know, he has, he, like I said, he's a very prolific writer. Um, his most recent release is Synapse. Um, he's, you know, got all sorts of um, uh, amazing reviews for his work. And he's, he's really embedded in the life of a writer. So he actually does a lot of article writing. He does a lot of uh, public speaking. He holds seminars. Um, so he really, uh, does, he, he's very much a teacher of writing. So I, I, I enjoyed it kind of exploring that angle with him as well. Um, so anyway, we had an awesome conversation, uh, and, uh, I will say, uh, a little bit of a trigger warning, uh, our story, uh, gets a little bit dark, uh, that we make up. So if you're, um, if you're sensitive to violence, uh, then don't watch the storytelling part at the end of this episode. Uh, anyway, this is my conversation with Stephen James. Enjoy. How are you, man? I'm well, buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm hanging in there. Nice to see your face. Yeah, you too. So how are you guys been healthy and safe? I hope and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, we have my, I, we just, uh, we just COVID tested my son a couple of days ago. Uh, but it turned out he just has a little cold. So that was the only, oh, okay. That's the good. only slight little scare that we've had, but yeah, we, so I've got a, I've got a couple of kids who are both in high school and one of them's going back a couple of days a week and, uh, you know, no one's, you know, we, no one's had any problems. What about you? Everyone's doing fine. So my kids are older ones. My youngest is actually a um, college senior. So she graduates coming up and where is she at? Uh, here in uh, Johnson city, Tennessee, a place called Milligan college. So was she at home during her senior year or were they yeah, back and forth, but now she's at school and most of her classes are in person, which is good. So yeah. my girl is starting college next year. So she's hoping that it'll be a regular experience and not an at-home experience. So we'll. Oh, I hope so too. Yeah, it should be, but I, it should be. It should be for sure. And so you're you're so you're there in Tennessee. So where where exactly are you? We are in the eastern corner of Tennessee, uh, kind of near the near uh, both Virginia 
and North Carolina. So way up in the corner, about a half an hour from each of those other states. Is it pretty rural where you at or? It's basically mountains like Appalachian Mountains Okay, uh, are here. So they call this the Appalachian Highlands. I don't know. It's just a marketing thing maybe, but, but it's really beautiful because we have like the Blue Ridge Mountains all around us. And oh. and uh, so it's uh, it's kind of becoming discovered over the last <laughs> six years. That's like, too bad. Yeah. People are moving in like crazy because the, the cost of living is very reasonable. It's a beautiful yeah. place you know, to live lots of mountain biking, hiking trails, all that kind of fun stuff. So oh, cool. Well, I'm, yeah. I, I'm excited to talk to you. I was, I was just kind of thinking about my first memory of you. It was probably thriller fest, you know, New York city, maybe 2012, 2013. And my, my first book had just been published tiny, tiny little publisher that has since gone the way of the wind. In fact, it actually mm. collapsed about six months after my book came out. Oh no. <laughs> I know. Hopefully it didn't have anything to do with me. But so it was my first experience. So I'd gone to Thriller Fest a few times as as um, an aspiring novelist, and it was always fantastic. And then my my book comes out, and you know you do a panel, and you're sitting in the the bookstore, and you're doing the signings afterwards. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there like an idiot because you know nobody knows about me. And I you came up, and you were so kind, and you you were started asking me about my book, which there were some religious overtones in my books. You were oh, kind of uh-huh. you were kind of asking me about that. And then I just, I just remember like, almost like self-deprecatingly, like kind of dismissing my book. I'm like, oh, you wouldn't be interested in this. You wouldn't want to read this or anything. Sorry, that's my phone ringing. Um, And you're, you're like, no, I want to buy this book. So you totally just like bought the book. I'm like, that's a solid dude. (laughs) I was just, I just thought you were like the best guy. So anyway, I've gotten to know you a little bit, but, but not a lot. So I'm, I'm excited to have this opportunity to spend a little bit of time together. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I've seen your books over the years. You're a good writer. And uh, so I'm glad that, uh, you know, your work is, has continued to go, you know, well for you. Yeah, I, so I, I appreciate that. You know, yeah. So yeah. so where did you, so where did you grow up? Uh, actually, Wisconsin. Okay. Now, are you recording it now? Do you want to record? How is this oh, working? Just I, like I, I, I've been recording it. since since you. Oh, really? So it's it's very it's very casual. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so and, and and all and we can edit out whatever we want to edit out. But basically, I will. Uh, I film separate intros and outros, and in the intro. I'll talk about you and your books and 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 plug whatever you want me to plug. Sure, that's fine. Um, but so Wisconsin, but yeah, yeah, Wisconsin actually grew up in uh, southeastern Wisconsin near Madison and Milwaukee, kind of between okay. the two, two of them. And uh, I mean, the thing is, I never loved the cold weather. I'll just be <laughs> honest. You know, I was like. Growing up, and when you drove over from Illinois into Wisconsin, there's a big billboard, you know, that said, come up to Wisconsin and smell our dairy air. And I'm thinking, <laughs> really, you're going to go with that? That's the first impression, you know, people have of the state. But of course, my family still lives up there and I love to visit. And uh, but when I moved to Tennessee, I did kind of feel like I was coming coming home. And that was back in uh, 96, I guess. Now, wow, it's been 25 years since we've. Yeah. We've been here, so uh, so oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. My daughter's actually looking at um, 
uh, University of Wisconsin Madison. That's one of her, oh, okay, sure, one, yeah. one of her choices. And you know, growing up in Colorado, she knows about cold, but she doesn't know about that kind of cold. But she, <laughs> she's excited for the aspect of it. And so, so you grew up there. And then, what did your what what did your parents do? Actually, they were both teachers, you know, and uh, my dad, a high school, my mom, a, a elementary school teacher. And so we had a lot of teachers in our family. My grandparents were uh, teachers actually on both sides. My grandmother on one side, grandfather on the other. And my sister's a teacher. My wife's a teacher. It's like I can't get away from teachers everywhere I go. And so, so what did what did they so teach? So. Uh, well, my dad was actually a, a high school physics teacher. Okay. And, uh, and he actually taught, which is kind of interesting. They had an aeronautics class. So he actually, that was high school that he was teaching that. Yeah. 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 That's a pretty, pretty involved class. That's cool. Yeah. So, uh, so, so yeah. So then, uh, my kind of my interest in stories, storytelling and everything kind of came from my uncle though, who, whenever we would visit them for, let's say, uh, holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and so on, he would always take the kids into a corner of the room and get this look in his eye. And he'd say, I'm going to tell you a story. Hmm. And he would tell us mostly campfire stories or sleepover stories, you know, like whatever you tell as your kid, as you're a kid and stuff. But, but man, I fell in love with this, just this idea of stories and storytelling. And then I was a voracious, uh, you know, reader in the summer they had at our, at, at our library, they had something called the, um, the paperback book exchange. Mm-hmm. So if you brought a book in, that you'd read or whatever, you just drop it off. You take another paperback book home, you read that, bring it back. So you never had to buy a book or, or anything. And so as a kid, I would just fly through the shelf every week. I'd get a new book. It only cost me one book, you know, to read all summer. And now as an author, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I love that program. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. How, how much are the authors making off of this program? Yeah. Yeah. I know. So, but, but were, uh, so, were yeah. your fa- family readers as well? Like, did, did you get that from them? Because I never, you know, my family definitely loved to read. And I just had, had zero interest in it until almost after college, really. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, my family did, you know, my, like my mom, I mentioned was an elementary school teacher. And so she was into, you know, books and wanted us to read and all that kind of fun stuff when we were kids. And, and then uh, kind of fell in love with, you know, short stories. Yeah, uh, I read a lot of uh, Stephen King's short stories and short stories by, you know, Dean Koontz and many others, you know, as, as well over the years and kind of liked, uh, liked that flavor. And then, uh you know, for me in high school, I was kind of shy, actually, and sort of retreated into my own little shell. I didn't really love to be uh, out. I was very self-conscious and all that kind of, you know, stuff in high school. And and this whole idea of story and writing, even though it was ingrained deeply into me, I never pursued it until finally I went to college and started to say, you know, I really like telling stories. I want to, you know, tell stories. and And so I actually... I worked at a, a summer camp as a camp counselor uh, back in college. And so I was always looking for ways to bore the kids to sleep <laughs> at night because they were jumping off the bunks and everything, you know? And so I said, I'm going to tell you a story. And then I, t- I started telling my uncle's stories. Right. And so, so you uh, remembered they, all your uncle's stories. Well, I mean, some of them, sure. Yeah. You know, but not, not all of them, but, but I told, I told his stories, you know, and then, um, kids would fall asleep. And I was like, yeah, I'm and then I thought, wait, they're falling asleep while I'm telling a story, you know, and, <laughs> but eventually they start staying awake, you know, and they're like, well, tell us another story. Tell us more stories. And I was like, I ran out of my uncle's stories so to start making up my own. And then I thought, I kind of like this. This is cool. And 
So little by little started writing short stories, you know, and then bigger and bigger novels and then kind of landed where I am, you know, today. So, but it all, it all kind of, you know, went back to my love is reading short stories as a kid and actually listening to my uncle tell stories and then kind of building on from there. So, yeah, it's, I think that's a thread for sure. Um, And, you know, my father, I remember my father telling his stories and then when my kids were little, uh, I would just make up a story every night, but it was a continuing story. And it, oh yeah, and it actually inspired part of uh, my book, Mister Tinder's Girl, because the comic book was all the story that the protagonist's father used to say. But I just love that idea of like, first of all, you know, there's not a lot of pressure when you're making up stories in front of kids. Second of yeah. all, they'll pretty much love anything you come up with, especially if there's you know, little bits of like violence in it or some of the <laughs> in the head. So yeah, it's, and, and I think the other thing that maybe informs you that I've seen as a thread in talking to other authors is, it sounds like you were at least in high school, a little bit of an introvert. Um, do you still mm-hmm. consider yourself an introvert? Cause there's a lot of people who do a lot of things, teaching and things like that, but they still consider themselves basically introverts. That's a good question. You know, I love to teach. I love to be in front of groups, uh, you know, either it's telling stories or, or doing lectures and presentations, so on like that. Um, but I also do like the privacy of being, you know, in my uh, basement and working on my stories and stuff. So I, I don't know. I mean, I like it in different contexts. I would say, you know, I don't love small groups of people, maybe 10 or 20 or whatever. I get nervous then. But if you get a thousand people or a hundred or a couple hundred people, then I'm really at ease on stage. So yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Because it's less intimate. Like there's less having to like interact with individuals. I guess, you know, so that uh, that's super interesting. So so you went to college and what was your, what was your um, undergraduate degree in? Well, actually my undergrad was in outdoor recreation. Okay. So I worked as a wilderness guide for, uh, for a while. Huh. And then my master's degree, when we moved to Tennessee back in the late 90s, is actually in storytelling. So I have one degree in how to play and one in how to talk. <laughs> so, so tell me tell me about the, because a master's degree in storytelling is very unique, right? That's not, that's storytelling isn't a master's degree in a lot of different places. Like you think of MFA or, you know, creative right. writing. So so where where did you go that offered the master's degree in storytelling? And what what does that mean? Yeah, no, it's um, it was at East Tennessee State University here in uh, Johnson City, Tennessee. And, you know, the thing is, um, it focused a little bit more on oral storytelling than it did on writing stories. Huh. There's a really big tradition here in Eastern Tennessee of telling stories, you know, back porch tell- storytellers sure. and so on. And um, and then when the Scots and Irish came over to settle this area, there's a lot of storytelling uh, traditions that were brought over from the British Isles as well. So uh, so anyway, yeah, but but I kind of tried to focus on both telling and writing stories in my uh, coursework. So, so I mean, I had courses on beginning storytelling, advanced storytelling, story dramatization, independent study on writing stories. So. It was really fun and interesting, and I'm I'm glad I did it. I don't know if I would do it again, but I mean, at the time there were there was only this one college in the world that offered a master's degree in storytelling, hmm. and so so yeah, there was there's maybe about a hundred or two hundred of us in the world that have you know that degree, and so it's it's pretty unusual, but 
but uh, it's fun to be able to tell people that you studied, you know, storytelling. Totally. What? So yeah. you you get your master's and then what are your, I mean, obviously you want to be a storyteller, how, whatever form that that is going to take. What are the practical implications of that as you're, as you're getting your degree, you're like, all right, and now I'm a storytelling teller. I hope somebody's going <laughs> to pay me for this. I know, right? Yeah, I'm still kind of in that place, you know. So I, I hope somebody's <laughs> yep. going to pay me for this. But, but, um, but yeah. Mean, did you find not, yourself having to work other jobs while you were writing? And well, I um, I did a little bit. Like I I taught a little bit part time. Kind of did some substitute teaching, a little bit of that. But I wouldn't say I'm a I'm a, I'm a teacher. But I started to actually teach at conferences and um, and different events around the world as uh, either performing stories and storytelling or teaching uh, advanced storytelling techniques and ideas and so on. And then started writing for magazines back in the late 90s. And then mm-hmm. eventually in 2001, I did my first book. And then in 2000, that was a nonfiction uh, book, inspira- kind of inspirational, educational Anyway, then in uh, 2007, I guess, my first novel came out. Okay. So since then, you know, the last 15 years or so, I've been mainly writing novels, although I've done a few books off and on, some writing books, how to, how to write, and but, uh, but mainly it's been, I kept wanting to tell bigger and bigger stories. And, you know, back in whatever it was, 90 or 2005 or six, I went to my publisher because I'd done some nonfiction. I said, man, I really want to write a novel. And they're like, well, all right, send us. I was like, do I have to write the whole thing first? Everybody tells me I have to write the, the whole thing first. I was like, I don't want to do that. And they're like, well, <laughs> since we know you write 50 pages and send it in. So I wrote 50 pages, sent it in. And they said, here's a three book deal. So I got my wow. three, three book deal off of a partial there. And then I just kind of kept adding books to the contracts like that. And that was, those were the first three Bowers Files books? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. they were. That was The Pawn, The Rook, and The Knight. And uh, and then I ended up doing 11 books in that series. Um, Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah, so so that character was was very interesting. And I've been revisiting him now because we're sort of looking at possibilities of trying to do a, you know, film, television project. So anyway, so I've, I've spent the last, month really just reviewing all of those stories and i was like yeah i spent a solid year or decade you know of my life just living this character with and, this person which yeah, I, with this character i always find that fascinating because i've i you know i've never written a series my seventh book is coming out and they're all standalone i've the next two books that are coming out are related to each other in terms of their fictional location and they actually the same house, but totally different characters, but I've never continued a character and I don't have anything against it. And it would probably be much more financially healthy for me to do so, but I don't I, know, you know. I, I've just never had that inclination. I just, I'm dying to tell a totally new story. So when you, when you get into the the depths of an 11 book series is there a point where, you know, your publisher continues to want that character and you're kind of feeling like that character has run its course? Or are you equally excited every time you sit down and you're starting a new story with them? When it when I'd done like nine or 10, I felt in my heart that I had, you know, a good couple more stories that I really wanted to do with this character. And then I felt if I kept going, I would really probably be... Uh, 
maybe recycling ideas from previous encounters, books, characters, and so on. I didn't want yeah. to do that. You know, you, you and I have both read, you know, some novels from people, uh, that then end up being cookie cutter sort of formulaic series. for sure yeah. formulaic you know like how many things so, can possibly yeah. happen to this one person <laughs> <laughs> yeah so when it came to that moment i was like okay i want to spread out and do some different types of of stories and so i ended up doing uh kind of a sci-fi thriller that came out i guess a year and a half ago now um, called Synapse, which takes place 30 years in the future. I'd never done anything like that before. So it kind of gave me the opportunity, like you said, to tell something entirely different, fresh, unique. And, you know, as a, as I don't know what, if you call yourself an artist, but as a writer, at least, I think we have to continue to um, kind of expand our horizons or we do become cliched and cookie cutter and so on. So I was like, I'm going to try this, you know, who knows if I'll fall on my face or, or not, but, uh, so I tried that, receptive you know? to that at the outset or were you just like, Hey, I, I'll be writing this. And you know, it's not going to be what most people would expect to be a Stephen James novel, but had the publisher already committed to it or is the publisher like, well, let's wait and see. Cause it well, is yeah, no, it was quite different, but I ended up going with a different publisher for that I project. See. Now I still have a good relationship with penguin, you know, penguin random house. And I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully doing some more projects with them, but that one was, uh, it was a better fit, you know, for a different, different publisher, which, which was, uh, which was fine with me. You know, basically I was like, I've got to try something you know, yeah. different. And I just yeah. realized that behind me up here, it, you're probably wondering what that black glob is. <laughs> you know, when we, when we were talking about telling stories to kids, I'll be, I'll, let me be I'll right yeah. back. So, you know, when I was telling stories to kids, <laughs> I had this little fellow help me out, this little wolf guy. So, yeah. So he still kind of watches over me there, but but um, when, when we get to the storytelling part of this show, maybe he can play a part. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so um, and it's interesting too, Carter, when you were saying that, that I did the same thing, telling stories to my kids, you know, when they were little. Yeah. Making it up each night as I went through. And uh, and it was it was a I feel like that's a good gift to give to kids. You know, it's their own special storytelling world. And I'm glad you did that. For yeah, your, Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm also interested, you're not only are you a highly prolific writer, but you, you know, whether out of need or desire, you recognized very early in your career that, you know, if you're going to be a full-time writer, it's not just about writing, it's doing mm. different things, it's teaching, um, it's podcast, it's whatever. There's there's a lot of different avenues to to kind of uh, advertise yourself and, and and of interest as well. But so you what's what caught me was when you were talking about how you had just gotten your master's and you started doing speaking engagements mm -hmm. all over the place and having not really at that point established yourself as a writer, how were you, how are you booking those? Like, how are you getting attention to yourself? Yeah. You know, a lot of those were uh, programs for children, schools, libraries, conferences for educators, stuff like that. Where I did have a lot of experience as a storyteller, uh, I remember when I was, uh, you know, in college, and I was like, I want to tell stories, you know, maybe I want to tell them to kid to kids, yeah. right? So, 
So I went to the school and I said, uh, you know, I'm a storyteller. Can, can I tell stories to your kids? And the guy, I thought the principal would say, well, are you any good? Or what kind of stories do you tell? But he's like, he looks at me, he goes, what do you charge? <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, my friends get like six bucks an hour working at McDonald's or whatever it was. And I was like, I don't want to sell myself short. So for a half an hour program, I was like, he's like all right you're hired i'm like i've got him right where i want him (laughs) i can't believe this guy's letting me tell stories i can't believe it man 25 dollars for only a half an hour so that's so So that was my first gig you know and that that was like 300 kids pack them in the gym give me a little microphone and there i go so well uh, yeah, yeah it's funny and i in fact so The foundation of this podcast is storytelling at the end, which is an exercise I used to do when I was teaching, when I would go in and teach like fourth graders, we'd make up a story together and we would do it one sentence at a time. And you just, oh yeah, the eyes light up. But I think what's also interesting is your ability. So you start doing that and not only are you getting paid for storytelling, you're developing these skills as a public persona and a public speaker and engaging person um, that I'm sure leads to other things. So I do a lot of public speaking as well. Oh, and, good. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and how that manifests itself in all parts of your life in terms of confidence and people remembering you and, and making connections. If you can get on a stage in front of 500 people and storytell, whether you're teaching a craft or you're actually storytelling is, is hugely powerful. And you seem to have, you know, parlayed that into a, a substantial part of your career, the teaching and the public speaking. Yeah. You know, over the years, I guess we totaled it up. I guess I've presented about 2000 times, you mm-hmm. know, around the world and at different events, conferences and so on, you know, and um, it's been, I mean, it's been great. I've had opportunities to travel to South Africa, you know, India, Kazakhstan, over to Europe, Switzerland, Northern Ireland, Um, kind of doing presentations, teaching or telling stories or teaching on writing. You know, some of my, some of my work has been like, I'll do a week long course for people on, um, fiction, you know, writing principles and and ideas and techniques and so on. So I just, that that's fun. And it actually, actually does, you know, keep me healthy because (laughs) I don't know if I'm healthy or not, but keeps me (laughs) I think you're healthy. <laughs> Keeps me somewhat balanced. This reminds me of uh I was actually in um the United Arab Emirates mm-hmm. for a book fair and they were like we want to do an interview with you on live television. I'm like, sure. I mean, I'll do it. Whatever this thing right here does right. reminds me of that. So, <laughs> so so anyway, they're like, okay, it'll be live and it'll be translated, you know, it'll be uh, what do they speak in the Middle East mainly? Uh, Arabic. Yeah, it was in Arabic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why it slipped my mind, but anyway, so it's in Arabic, and they're like, "We'll have a translator for you," and uh, so everything gets all set up. I get on stage, and the guy is, you know, really kind-looking guy, and he's going to interview me, and I've got little he- headset where when he asks a question, there's a translator in another room who's going to translate it to me. Then I'll speak in English and he'll translate it back to the guy in Arabic. So I was really kind of like, okay, uh, <laughs> hopefully this will work well. And so he starts asking me questions. And this first question is, 
how come people in America like to read detective novels, but people in the Middle East don't as much? <laughs> and you have a great answer to that, I'm sure. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, how do I know why people here don't read what I write? And so, so, so anyway, so I'm fumbling my way through <laughs> trying to come up with stuff that doesn't sound completely, you know, moronic. And the earpiece that I had starts falling out. Right. So while I'm the one, the one that's translating the, the yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like while I'm I'm trying to like surreptitiously stick it back into my ear on this live, you know, show and it keeps falling out like it wouldn't I couldn't hear oh it was, it was crazy. That's funny. So, yeah, I'm glad it wasn't a very long interview. It yeah. was just like I'm like, what am I supposed to do? It's falling out of my ear. I gotta stick it back in there. So so I'm I'm curious, like you know, when I was preparing for this interview, I was really looking at your body of work and just, I, I, again, going back to the idea that I'm just kind of caught up a little bit in all the different things that you do, not just writing, but things around that you've really built this career around projecting yourself as this writer where you can teach and you can storytell and you can, you know, uh, go to conferences. Or do you, does it feel like you're constantly juggling? Because um, that's what it's, it seems like. You have so much going on. Are you constantly thinking like, okay, I got to make sure I have these events set up. Uh, I got to make sure this book is going to be done by a certain deadline. And oh, now there's COVID and that I've got to shift to <laughs> virtual things and I've got to keep my podcast going. Uh, is this, I just picture it being very like frenetic. And, and I don't know if that's it's, true or not. No, I mean, that's, you know, it can be, you know, I'm, I'm basically, to be honest, you know, I just, I've always kind of felt like if I have this story or whatever it is inside of me, I want to share it somehow, right? Yeah. So, of course, the stories that I tell for kids at a children's program or a library, you know, or school are going to be different stories than I write for adults, just suspense, thrillers and stuff. But but um, I kind of feel like, okay. I love to tell uh, stories and engage that audience in a certain way. And then adults, what's happened though, is like people want to box you up. They want sure. to, you know, find out what's your brand, like your publisher, what's your brand? Right. Well, I write serial killer novels and I tell stories to preschool kids, you know, and they're like, <laughs> right. My, my wife says it's kind of like inviting Stephen King over to do a puppet show for your kindergarten class. You know, it's like, <laughs> But it's like, it's all sort of who I am. And so uh, trying to, uh, you know, give confidence to people that, look, I'll do this program or show, you know, it'll be, it'll be fine. Don't worry. I'm not going to scare your, you know, four-year-olds or something like that. But right, right. That's but, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a little odd, you know. Well, sure. We all have those sides, right? And and yeah. people do try to box you up. And and with you in particular, you know, some, a lot of your nonfiction books are very kind of faith based books. Yeah. And and how does so how does your how does your Christian faith inform, or does it bleed into your writing of serial killer books? And and so, <laughs> it's not saying it can't. Um, but but do you you know because those are two different very types of books. So how does your faith inform your fiction writing? Well, you know, for me, um, I I think that all great stories ask big questions, questions that matter. Absolutely, you know. Yeah. So, so for me personally, when I ask questions about morality, 
Uh, where's the line between good and evil? Uh, what keeps me from stepping over the line? What keeps me from becoming like those, like in my books, the, the main character, like those that I hunt, he hunts serial killers. Um, you know, do our choices matter? Is God there? Is he not there? Um, you know, all, anyway, all these are intriguing, I think, questions. What's the difference between truth and justice, which is more important, hope or truth and all of these things. And so, um, so as I write, I always try to explore, you know, a big question, give my main character um, a question that matters. And so my books are, are, are by no means sermons or anything like that. No, no, not, they're not. <laughs> you know, so, but, uh, but I do try to say, okay, I want to tell a thrilling story, but I also want to address a moral dilemma or question. And so, um, yeah. So I guess that's how that if it if it if it I almost said infects if it infects my writing at all. <laughs> well, it's affects, and it's true too. Also, because the most interesting stories about morality, you know, usually have an antagonist who mm. you can kind of, if not relate to, you can understand that they're not just painted as evil that maybe so i love writing an antagonist who truly believes in his or her cause you know that it's not a bad thing that they're doing in their own eyes and and how you can kind of create sympathy uh if if at all for that character i think is a fascinating challenge because you can really blur the lines of morality if, if that's done well um so i so, so you know when you're hunting serial killers are there serial killers who you look at it and you're like, you know, this person really believes in what they're doing. Yeah, you know, a lot of them, uh, a lot of them do. I mean, sometimes the serial killer or an arsonist or maybe a terrorist or whatever. And, you know, a lot of them are motivated. Sometimes we don't really know what motivates, uh, what motivates them. But, you know, a lot are motivated by ideology, you know, in some cases and, Right. And, um, and so, but, uh, you know, in that series that I did, Patrick Bowers, you know, he really kind of wrestles with this idea of the tug of the darkness on his own heart and what, you know, kind of haunts him, but also how do you keep control of the part? Because like you just mentioned, you know, we all have kind of a good side, dark side, you know, it's like, we're, we're a mixture of good motives, Absolutely. And selfish ones. And so, you know, to create villains who are, you know, multidimensional, we can do that through giving them some humanity where, um, where we can relate to them. And that's a little chilling too. When you start to say, I can sort of relate to this guy, but he is a terrible, you know, character. Like he, he's very evil and so on, but I can kind of relate to him, you know? Right. So, <laughs> right. Right. A lot of times so, yeah. it's, it's not that huge of a leap between, you know, thought and action. Right. Yeah. Um, and I always, yeah, I always think that's, that's fascinating as well. So out of all the different things that you do, where do you find yourself on a daily basis? Kind of happiest. Like what is it when you go down to your basement and you spend an hour writing, is that the happiest part of your career huh. or is it the teaching or is it those, what are those moments? Because I know for me, when I, I only write an hour a day, when I go, go upstairs to write at five o'clock every night, close the doors. And I'm just, I'm, I haven't been thinking about the story all day. And then I'm just, I dive into it and I think about nothing else. Like, Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I, I look forward to that all day. Yeah. Um, so what is it for you? Uh, 
Well, I, there's different things I enjoy about different aspects of my career. You know, I love being up in front of a group. Of course, with COVID, all that's kind of shut down for the last right. year or so. But um, but I love the interactions, you know, with people and and to see basically whenever you're telling stories, uh, you get that immediate reaction. Maybe a light goes on in someone's eyes. They smile. They laugh at something you said. There's a, but when you're writing, and you know this, you don't have that. Like you're sitting nope. in your basement or you're upstairs, you know, you're attic or wherever and you're writing like i hope people like this like i don't know if they're gonna like it or not i mean i hope so so i spend a year on you know a book helping so but uh so i enjoy that immediate feedback whenever i'm presenting and telling stories and so on but but one of the things i really love about you know writing uh is just when the light goes on when you're writing like i don't outline or plot out my stories at all. Like I'm co- uh, completely organic. And so as I'm writing, suddenly you have this idea, oh, I wonder if I could add this twist, you know, at the end, oh, I wonder if that's not the killer. I wonder if it could be so-and-so that's interesting. And so those moments are, are really rich and satisfying for me. Aren't they? You're a hundred percent right. Cause I'm exactly the same. And you have those epiphanies where had you been outlining, you would you would not have gotten to that moment. Um, and even if you did get to that moment, it would have been more like homework rather than like the thrill of the discovery. And even to the extent that I'll be three quarters of the way through a book and I'll be like, oh, this is what this book is about. <laughs> I, yeah. I, now I see these themes that I hadn't really thought about, but this book is all about, you know, an addiction to saving people or whatever it is. And when you have that moment, it is, yeah, it's, 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 I think, one of the best parts of writing for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. And uh, not to disparage anyone's approach, but I feel like typically if you write more organically, your stories will uh, be less predictable, less by the books, and less, uh, I'll say, like structured, three act, this, this, this. So that a lot of times when I'm reading a book, I'm be like, I can tell this guy outlined it because it's so by the numbers, you know, yeah. like yeah. this happens by page 50 and then this happens and I'm like... That's not for me as interesting as writing a story and allowing it to unfold, you know, as I work on it. Yeah. And I can't even do it. And I've tried before and, you know, I've outlined maybe the first half of a book and I start writing and two chapters in it's already deviating. Yeah. Yeah. But what's, what's so amazing though, is sometimes if I'm three quarters of the way, usually three quarters of the way through a book, I'll try to figure out really what that last quarter is going to be. I don't even yeah. know what the ending is, but then I might outline maybe the last 10 chapters. Uh-huh. And, you know, if I can do that, then I can just write so quickly. I'm like, holy shit, I wish I could do this all the time <laughs> because I'm really producing. I'm not just sitting here thinking. So yeah, it's it's a mix, but I agree. The the organic nature of it is is definitely, I think, more interesting. So yeah, and I mean, it's like some people will say, well, how do you know what to write if you haven't outlined it? My point is, how do you know what to outline when it doesn't exist yet? Like, how can I outline something that doesn't even exist? Like, I don't even understand. It's like saying, right, (laughs) like like somebody doesn't know what they're going to say five minutes from now, but they figure it out. You're not outlining how you talk to somebody. Um, It's very true. Yeah. So that being said, we're going to tell a quick story here. So this is how it's going to work. You're going to pick a book from the shelf behind me, and we're going to pick a random sentence. And I'm going to read that sentence, and then you're going to give me the next sentence or two, however much you want to say. And then we'll just alternate back and forth for three, four, five minutes. Okay. 
maybe there's a story that comes out of it. Maybe I, I've done a lot of these. It goes all over the place. So it's well, that'll be fun. Let's yeah. try it. You know. So and how do I do this? So I give you a, a so, number or a letter or what? Um, why don't you give me a color and I'll pick a oh, book okay. that that's color. I've been kind of alternating. So take a look behind me and see if there's a color. That I see you. some red books. So let's go with something red. Okay. Back I'll, there. I'll grab something. <laughs> So, and I always like to think when I pick these books, I, I like to think about them um, and my memories of them. So this is James Clavell's Shogun. Wow. Uh, which is, I was a, I am a huge Clavell fan. And this was back when in my twenties when I had no money. So I would buy books that had a thousand pages or more to get <laughs> bang for my buck. And I, I remember reading James Clavell's Shogun and thinking like, it's the only book that I've ever read where I felt like the love story of it, which is a big part of it, just completely was compelling and believable. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I've always, uh, yeah, this, this one is near and dear to my heart. So, so you can pick a page between one and 1100. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, let's go with 500, like right around okay. the middle there you know, and, and see what give, happens and give me a sentence between one and five, let's say. Let's just go with the first one. This is Carter again. I'm busting in. I'm interrupting this 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 interview because I just wanted to reiterate that the story we craft together gets a little bit dark, not crazy dark, but it gets a little dark. Um, and so in case you're sensitive to any kind of violence, um, you don't want to hear it. Uh, now would be a good time to stop listening. And you can just pick up after the uh, after a little storytelling bit. Thanks. Back, back to the interview. You must be mad to suggest such a thing. Frank said to Anita as he lifted up the hammer. I didn't mean it, she said. What's wrong with you? Are you drinking again? I haven't had anything to drink in six months. You know that. He set the hammer down and he said to her, is it true what they're telling me about what you did with Stanley? You know that Stanley over only comes over to help out now and then. <laughs> she said, you're gone all the time. And Stanley knows how to fix things. Unlike you. Frank walked to the edge of the, um, to the edge of the balcony and peered out across New York city. He could feel the heat of the summer uh, simmering up against his face. He turned around to see her once more. And he said, I am leaving you. And I'm leaving you for a reason you would never expect. Anita shifted her gaze down to the table where the hammer lay. She picked it up. It felt solid, heavy, and cold in her right hand. She took three steps to him, noticed his back towards the city, and wondered what he'd look like falling down 30 flights, 30, 30 stories. As she reached back with the hammer, he spun around, faced her, and he said, no, dove toward her. And just as they were wrestling to get at the hammer to find out who could get control of it, there was a knock at the door. I'll bet I know who that is, Frank said. It's Stanley, isn't it? <laughs> she oh. She looked to him, <laughs> grabbed the hammer, 
held it back and said, there's only one way to find out. He walked to the door and as he opened the door up, the two gangsters rushed in, pinned him to the floor (laughs) and said, Stanley sent us to give you a message. One of the gangsters pulled a gun from behind him and held it to Frank's head. Anita stood there still with a hammer and re-examined her entire life in those few seconds. She came to the quick conclusion that as much as she hated Frank, she loved him more than anything else in the world. She raised (laughs) the hammer as high as she could over her head. The sound of the hammer against the gangster's skull was both moist and solid at the same time. He collapsed and Frank went for the gun. The other man strode toward the door, but he was too slow for the two shots that came and found his back as he collapsed into a bloody mess by the doorway. Gasping for air, trying to control his heart, Frank looked up to his wife, gazed directly into his eyes, her eyes, and said, should we do takeout? (laughs) Yes. Chinese works for me. <laughs> the end. The end. All right. Wow. We made it through. That was At good. Least it was somewhat coherent. I it don't was. know if it, it was. was. It wasn't well, exactly it, Pulitzer Prize winning material, but. No, but I find it so interesting because first of all, I love doing it. And, and even, even if it's scary to me and I feel like it's a train wreck from my end. But what's what's super interesting is how many writers are horrified by the concept of doing what we just did. <laughs> you know, I get a lot of feedback. They're like, yeah, I'd love to do the podcast, but that part really scares me. I'm like, it'll be fine. You know, it'll be good. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be brilliant, but I, I just like the engagement of it all. Yeah. And I mean, you make something go wrong. You twist it to a new direction, throw a new character in, throw the hammer, the guns, whatever you make it complex, you know, Make add conflict or whatever, and then suddenly you've got something to work with. So yeah, I, I so, can yeah. see uh, to, to uh, all the ones I've done so far end pretty pretty violently. <laughs> <laughs> Unsurprisingly, it's always like you think it's going to be a little nice romantic story, and then all of a sudden there's like uh, poison in a glass of wine. So uh, remind me what our opening line was again on page five five hundred. I think it was. I want to see what what we had to work with and where we ended up. We had very little to work with. Um, You must be mad to suggest such a thing. Ah, okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me to do that. That Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the the show. You know, it was great to be able to talk to you some more and get to know you. I I have a lot of other questions for you. And, uh, you know, hopefully there will be a Thriller Fest at some point. Hopefully there'll be a BoucherCon at some point where we can sit down and have have a drink and chat some more. We'll do it. That sounds great. Yeah. Good luck with your current projects, too. And I can't believe you only write for an hour a day. I'm like, wow, that would be nice. But also it would drive me crazy because I would never get any projects done because I'm not a very fast writer. So yeah, yeah. Thanks. Well, I have a full time job, too. So it's it's not out of not out of uh, laziness. (laughs) It's out of necessity. But yeah, uh, yeah, good to see you, buddy. Thanks again. And we'll uh, chat soon. All right. Take care. Stay healthy. See you. Take it easy, man. Bye.
That was my conversation with Stephen. I really enjoyed um, getting a chance to catch up with him. And um, yeah, he's a fascinating guy. If you want to find out more about Stephen, you can just go to uh, stephenjames.net. And if you want to find out more about me or subscribe to my newsletter, uh, you can just go to carterwilson.com. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. More episodes coming out soon. Until then, take care.